Welcome to the Merchant Matrix Podcast. My name is Nick Sember, and also joining us is Preston Hurd, who will be providing a merchant retail spin for all the topics being discussed on the show. And if you're at all involved in e-commerce, as most of us are, you'll want to give this next interview a listen. We are talking to Thomas Sear, head of global demand generation at Shopify, one of the leading e-commerce platforms for brands both big and small. Thomas has worked previously in areas such as performance marketing and lead generation at Brex and Glassdoor, respectively. With this, he has been involved in multiple stages of the marketing and sales pipeline, and now he is able to provide insights from his comprehensive experience. Here's our interview with Thomas Sear. So, Thomas, Nick and I are super excited to have you on today. The last couple episodes have been about sales, inside sales, outside sales, and we are so looking forward to giving our listeners your perspective going up to the very top of the funnel, talking about lead generation, demand generation, and really tying all that together with sales and marketing alignment. And so without further ado, uh, Nick, let's get into it. Thomas, we're really excited to have you on the show. And like Preston mentioned, we're just going to jump right into things. Demand generation is one of those things that I have to imagine. I have to imagine it's a term that gets you misused every so often, maybe used interchangeably with other roles. So with that in mind, what would you say is the difference between demand generation versus lead generation versus inbound marketing? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and you know when you look at job postings today, it's kind of like what what exactly do they need? You see those you see those phrases thrown around pretty loosely now, and I think what demand generation was historically versus what it really you know, captures now is is much different from when I started my career. So when when I think the difference between the three, you know, to see if demand generation, lead generation, and, and inbound marketing, I'd say like separate inbound marketing out of that, right? Inbound marketing is just a result of well-executed demand generation. Right. And so then when you think about demand generation, there's really two sides of the coin. It's the way I like to look at it. There's demand capture and there's demand creation. So demand capture, that's really first to step out understanding your ICP. Like this is where I always start is like, who's your ideal customer profile? And similar to like how you would harvest a crop, like what tools do you use to like attract that ICP? Like what channels are they on? And, and I think a lot of demand gen, you know, managers and marketers always just fall into the same trap of using the channels that they're very familiar with and not understanding where the ICP is interacting, where their eyes are looking, and then building programs and campaigns to engage them on the platforms they're already on. So within demand capture, the first piece is you got to understand your ICP. Um, the second piece is you have to remove friction. Um, and this seems like something that is so blatantly obvious, um, but it's something that we do on Shopify. It's something that done at, at basically every role that um, I've been a part of. And so it really, when you figure out your capture and, and removing friction or sometimes adding it, it it's, it's really understanding your full funnel. Um, and that doesn't really even sound like something demand gen like, but if, if you're held to a number, um, you know, an MQL, an SQL or a self-serve number, you need to know where those friction points are. And so a lot of times what we do is we'll look in, and look across the full board and map out every single stage of a funnel from the top all the way to the bottom, every single number, every single conversion point and figure out where are you leaky? 
Um, and it's, it seems like such a simple exercise for demand capture, but it's something that rarely dimension marketers do. We're, we're, we're very focused on, you know, top of the funnel, ad sets, campaigns, content, like all the really fun stuff about marketing, but you never actually sit down and say like, where are we dropping all the way through the funnel? And then how can we mitigate that, right? And what you'll find is you'll find one or two points and you can really work on you know, increasing those conversion points and make meaningful impact rather than just filling your bucket or, or you know, filling the funnel with, with more leads that just leak out. So again, back to demand capture, you have your ICP, uh, you got to remove your friction. And the last piece is I really think is underutilized is just like listening to your audience. Um, this is using drift when somebody is exiting the page to collect you. Did you, did you get what you were looking for? Yes or no? Like even just a mini, you know, NPS score of satis satisfaction on the page can give you so much more information about demand capture. And, and, you know, then you have search engines, you have things like SEM rush. And so you can really look at like, what are your customer profile, right? You identify your customer profile. Like what are they actually searching for? Um, and you use what your audience is telling you to then go build those programs. So that's the demand capture side. Um, and I'll quickly touch on, on the demand creation side, because this is, I think, where demand gen traditionally sat, um, <clears throat> which is like content, right? It's like content webinars. Um, it, it's it's like content is king. It's content tailored to your your ideal customer profile, right? It's it, it's it's easy to adjust. You know, it's, it's generating a lead, right? Like this is just traditional demand gen. Um, and outside of content, like basically lead generation for demand, it's it's really about figuring out problem awareness and, and, and solution awareness um, and how you wanna market, how you wanna create that demand for your product. I think there's like a couple ways to look at like a problem awareness versus a solution awareness. Like here, here's an example, right? So we're at Shopify, right? And we're, we're selling to brick and mortar merchants. Um, we wanna get them on our point of sale and selling online um, through the platform. There, there's one method of marketing where you could say, hey, business owner, um, we have what you need. Like this is the future. Selling online and offline together is the way of the future. It's gonna increase your sales and sell through all these channels. Like it, it's where you gotta be in 2021. That's the one method and thinking of, of marketing. The other method is, is saying, well, hey, business owner, your customers are demanding a different kind of experience. Your customers want buy online, pick up in the store. Your customers want come in store, ship to home, like all birds originated. Like, that's another way to look at it and market. And when you start flipping the paradigm there and start saying, well, this is what your customers want because that's what's most important to a business owner. And now we can help you service your customers in the way they want to shop. It switches the psychology of like the problem and the solution that the business owner has presented. Um, so I got on kind of a tangent there, but you know, the, the difference is I think you know, inbound marketing good, that, 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 creates, that creates demand, but um, you got to be really good at capturing it. Um, and if you, if you can't create it and capture it, um, you know, you're not going to have any one of those demand gen lead generate inbound marketing functions running very well. Thanks, Thomas. You obviously know it so well, and our listeners are going to get a ton of value from your industry expertise. When you talk about all of the acronyms, I love that you talked about the ideal customer profile, ICP. You talked about MQLs, marketing qualified leads, SQLs, sales qualified leads. And I think when you're talking about lead generation, demand generation, inbound marketing, there's really the consideration in retail as to whether this is a merchant that is wanting to sell their products B2B into retailers like Target or Walmart, get their gadget on the shelves of those stores, or whether it's a brand doing e-commerce and 
rather than passing leads from marketing over to sales so that sales can call them and email them and follow up, there's the strategy of passing them right to the shopping cart to purchase online right now. And so there's a lot of different components within retail and working with brands and merchants specifically that are considering B2B. Are they getting it on the shelves of that brick and mortar or dot-com store? Or is it B2C where they're selling direct to consumer, whether it's the brand on their own site selling direct to consumer, or it's the retailer trying to get more traffic in their stores? Yeah, it's always funny. I always, uh, I, I keep thinking like NQS code and I say these acronyms and I figure, you know, we all get in this marketing world that we're in and, you know, ICP is ideal customer, but you got to say it and, you know, within different roles throughout organizations that have worked in it's, it's important to tailor that language actually, which is very funny for like getting buy-in, building relationships with product leaders, like not using acronyms, defining things very literally um, and depending kind of who you're working with. Like, it's funny you get caught up using these acronyms in your teams. Yeah, and these acronyms, ICP, MQL, SQL, these are some terms that, you know, salespeople are going to be very familiar with. And I feel like that shows a lot of interaction between the roles of demand generation and sales. So with that in mind, what would you say is the relationship between sales and demand generation? I've had a lot of different relationships with sales teams in my career. Some, some great, some need a lot of repairing. Um, some are, you know, fresh, right? Um, it, it, the relationship has to be good. And I, and I've found like, what is like kind of the key to making that relationship good? And first is that sales has to have a seat at the table. Um, and I find the best exercise to build relationships with sales is build a scoring model for sales together with their sales managers. You know, one of the most common things that you're going to get to in a sales marketing relationship that causes stress is that, you know, a, the marketing team creates a marketing qualified lead or a lead that, you know, is a fit for our business services, right? And, and marketers pat themselves on the back and say, hey, guys, we did it, right? And we generated a lead, let's go. And we pass it to the sales team, right? And they reach out and, and, you know, they have thousands of these or hundreds of these, depending on the size and scope of your business. And, you know, you build these scoring models and, and oftentimes marketers will say like, hey, they you know, meet the revenue threshold, they're located in the United States and they're, you know, X segment, like they're a fit for our business, but there's obviously so much intent that's left behind. Whether they come, they come from Facebook, do they come from Google? Were they searching for something? That's, you know, I'm searching for a solution to my problem. I come from Facebook, I'm just being targeted by a solution, you know, for a problem I didn't know I had. So there's, there's many different entrance points. It's what I find to really like solidify the sales marketing issue. It's like build a lead scoring model together. Because if that sales manager is sitting there and they're saying, yep, that's that's got to be weighted higher, that's got to be weighted lower, and they have that seat at the table, when you're passing those leads over, there's no more debate around where well, your scoring model isn't good, they weren't engaged enough, or it's like this or that. Because what happened is, you know, for every five good leads, you get one really bad one, and those are the ones that get remembered. So getting a seat at the table, having your weekly syncs, and just being brutally honest about where you stand with each other and, and how to make it better. And that usually is, is a lead scoring model, I think, to, as a first step. I think that's a fantastic point. When you get into sales and marketing alignment, the traditional problem is sales is saying, I can't get any good leads for marketing. And marketing is saying, sales, I gave you all these great leads. Why aren't you working them? And coming together with the metrics and the, the goals and really aligning on that is the real foundation. Great point, Thomas. 
And to echo that point, a lot of companies now have the role of chief revenue officer. The VP of sales and chief marketing officer come together under the umbrella of this chief revenue officer, who has the responsibility of revenue acceleration by achieving that sales and marketing alignment. Now, as far as demand generation, it does seem to involve a lot of different types of content, videos, PDFs, all all these things in order to create a long-term relationship with your customers. So how do we ensure that we're providing the most value to these potential customers while still keeping customer acquisition cost in check? Oh, man. It's like a tale as old as time. <laughs> um, it depends. Yeah, I, I hate I hate it depends answer, right? Um, it, it depends on the organization you're working in, though. It, it really does. And what the appetite for investment from leadership is. Certain organizations you're going to work for, the appetite for leadership is going to be bought into brand building activities, um, you know, content webinars, um, ungated assets, like thought leadership pieces. Like you, you can build your brand and, and do a lot of the free activities, um, you know, with really kind of keeping your, 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 your customer acquisition cost at your CAC in check. You, know, you can do a lot of those. And if you're not promoting them or distributing them, like, like, are, are you, is your customer ideal customer? Are they going to see it? Like chances are not, you're going to have to throw some dollars behind some, some kind of like distribution or promotion. And then it just really comes down to multi-touch attribution. Like, you know, if you, if you have a good system to track, you know, merchants across the full funnel, then, I mean, you can keep adding those touches. You can keep, you know, increasing your top of funnel or going further up funnel into the marketing. Um, but <clears throat> unless you have good data, like it's going to be super hard. Um, so it's either option A is you see these, these programs as a, as a sunk cost, but you know that they work, right? Like there, there's value in content, there's value in thought leadership, there's value in distributing those. Um, and you just got to suck it up and say, we can't track that back to the actual customer acquisition. And that's just part of our investment strategy as a marketing team, or it's, you got to get really tight with your data team and your cookies and your UTMs and try to track every touch. So, um, <clears throat> I, I think it's hard, but if I was going to use like channels for providing value, it's, it's going to be content. Um, and I think the one thing about content to keep in mind is like content is content without context. Okay. How do you give content context? Use a sales rep, use a customer story. Like that's where I think you can start adding value into additional touches um, <clears throat> without really starting to eat away at customer acquisition costs. Those are like emails. Those are outbounds from sales reps. Um, so you can keep it low using like, you know, your free platforms in that sense. I love Thomas, how you brought up what is the goal of the campaign? Is it brand awareness um, where you're going to be able to add in if you are doing paid advertising animation and engagement yeah. and interaction is that your goal or is it really just all about placing a static ad and getting that click-through rate, getting that high click-through rate? Um, it depends on what you're trying to do. Is that going to bring them right to the product and increase sales? What's the goal? And then I also love how you brought up data, data integrity as the foundation for uh, everything, really. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's hard. Like, I totally get this, Mike. 
increase like what's your reach and frequency i mean i think that's another good exercise to look at like providing value without increasing costs is like what's the average like reach and frequency you need targeting your customers to get them to convert to like x point either like lead generated or first up in the funnel or you know talk to a sales rep or a drift chat like it it, it kind of changes and i think the last thing i'll say about it's like adding value is like when in doubt don't send an email which sounds like the most obnoxious thing to say from a marketer but like scarcity is actually kind of a good thing in communication. Like send something that provides value. Like because you wrote an ebook on you know X topic doesn't actually mean it's relatable for you know, Y customer in the funnel at that time. So don't just send it because you have it. Don't just blast people because you can blast them. Like be thoughtful about your marketing. I think you know demand gen maybe isn't the right word, but like marketers in general have been like very eager to send emails to target people, and we see that you know, engagement rates over time across industries have declined. Like there's fatigue, right? We look at screens all day. We see emails every day. Like, why am I going to open this email from you? Like, what is the single purpose of value that customer will get or that potential customer will get? If you can't clearly articulate that, you don't send the touch. Great point. And when you get into sequential marketing, sequential advertising, retargeting, whether you're hitting them on the desktop and then they're on their mobile and what cadence, all of that has to be taken into consideration to avoid fatigue and abandonment. Uh, I yeah. think that's a great point. Yeah, I think that though, and I'll ask, I keep going on this because that's like out of my mind right now. I think the ones that we that marketers mistake is if you're in a big organization and you have a big customer base you can cross sell into, uh, it's like, you know, the wolves feeding <laughs> to, to send emails to customers to sell their products. I think that's, you know, you talk about CAC and I'd say even like brand reputation at that point, even, even in the prospect world or your customers, like how frequently are you communicating? What's the purpose behind that communication? So, yeah. On that note with scarcity, I feel like everyone can relate to getting emailed a ton of content that just is not relevant to you to the point where you just get into this habit of deleting emails from that sender. And when you're trying to build a relationship with the customer, that's the last reaction that you want your customer to have when encountering your brand. Speaking to the topic of content, we're seeing more and more marketing content show up in the least expected places. For example, with TikTok, with the Shopify TikTok partnership, what would you say is the unique value that TikTok could bring to merchants? I like how I get chills on this one just because like I like new media and like new areas to market. Like I know I know all the surfaces so well. I've been doing this for a long time. So it's like a, you know, I, I love to see the emergence of new of new platforms. So what do I what do I think of the what do I think of TikTok in the partnership? First of all, like if you're not considering, depending where your demographic of your ideal customer profile sits, like if you're not thinking about marketing and TikTok, like I'm kind of shake my head and say, well, what are you doing? Cause I mean your 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 goal is marketing, like where are my customers looking? Are my potential customers looking? Where are they spending their time every day reading? If they're all reading the economics, okay, don't go market on TikTok, right? But if they are, hey, well, then TikTok's a great platform for that. I mean, it's massive. So it, it's you got to market where your consumer eyeballs are going, right? Where your customer eyeballs are going. And that's very, that's very, very clearly TikTok for the younger generation. And even I would say, even the older generations are very much getting into it. And so much so, that I saw a Gap ad, like a Gap clothing ad the other day. And, I, and it's, it was like a Hulu, you know, direct one, you know, targeting my household, right? And 
it was turned on and I was like, this is a TikTok video. And I was like, wait, no, it's not. It's a gap video, but it was, so it was TikTok style filmed, but it was gap produced, right? It wasn't an actual TikTok video, nothing to do with TikTok's brand, but gap was taking that same formula of the way the content is consumed, which has become so prominent on Facebook, these like little dances, these like, you know, they shake the screen with the, with the dance move and everything. And it's about clothing. And so literally, you know, Gap is taking what TikTok has made work so well um, and is so sticky on their platform. And it's now trying to take it out of their platform to use in their own marketing strategy, which just says like TikTok is a powerhouse. People are on there and brands are looking to how you know, users are interacting with that style of content and trying to take learnings from it. So the, the, the Shopify TikTok partnership, I mean, I think that's incredible. And that actually really enables TikTok to be more of a commerce platform. Um, and we just know that through consumer behavior, through YouTube stars, through Instagram, that now TikTok, right? That like, individuals look to these people for clothing, for styles, for business advice. I mean, I follow a guy who does real estate on TikTok like TikToks for real estate, like, I mean, creative guy, like how engaging. So, you know, it's not just about selling e-commerce. It's not just selling about clothing products, right? Like TikTok can be used in the style of videos and that media consumption can be used across your business anyway. The real estate guy on TikTok is a great example because like you mentioned, as TikTok's user base grows, it's getting different sorts of audiences joining the platform. I mean, just imagine being one of the early users on, let's say, Instagram, promoting your brand on there before all of the competition arrives. And there, there has to be something said about getting on a platform early and getting that head start. How would you say that the ads in the style of Yahoo ads for merchants and brands help to reach demand generation goals? Yeah, totally. I mean, I love it, right? So like, I'm a line item guy and a data guy. So I look at every single line item, everything I'm spending on from a marketing team and say input, output, right? And I love about ad platforms is it's very clear. Uh, input, output is an easy, you know, what's your conversion rate from the platform? And I think every ad platform has their place in, in, your, in your budget. And Yahoo is one of those. And I think, again, expanding the surface areas in which you can market are going to increase your total brand reach and hopefully increase your sales. And, and you'll have that data to prove it out. I think the Yahoo place like ads placements are really interesting because it, it, it tends to lean further up market than like Google display network would. Um, <clears throat> so it's another place, again, depending on that ideal customer profile, that's like, is that a surface area where my potential customers are hanging out? And this is somewhere where I can engage them again. So I love it. Same with TikTok. It's like, hey, these are surface areas. Shopify makes it super easy to like connect a brand through these platforms. I think that's, that's empowerment for marketers. I think that's some great perspective, Thomas. And Yahoo is a great platform for the biggest and best in class of brands and retail advertisers working with clients such as Amazon and Walmart. And I think that uh, it's also important to note that there's some really big news happening right now with Yahoo in that they were just acquired by Apollo. So now Yahoo and AOL uh, are going to be transitioned from Verizon and being a part of Verizon Media to being a privately held company. So a lot of changes there. New CEO coming over, uh, replacing the prior CEO that came from Alibaba. 
And now the new CEO came from Tender. So uh, excited to see about the new era of Yahoo product ads for merchants. And I know they're doing a lot within that retail vertical. Also, uh, I think, you know, the whole Shopify partnership is just a great way for them to reach the SMB market as well. Yeah, that's what, yeah. <laughs> that's what, yeah, I love working at Shopify for this, right? Like these partnerships, right? And you bring up a good point for us. It's like, it also allows, you know, Shopify, you know, the benefit to Shopify as well here. And our merchants, it's just like, I don't know, these partnerships are great, right? Like it, it's democratization of selling. And I think that's what Shopify represents so well and compared to like in Amazon, we, we want our customers to own the customer. Um, that's, that's not our business. You own the relationship with your customer. And I think that, is really where the future is going with privacy, with data, uh, with marketing, like the business will have more control and the individual will have more control as well. Yeah, great point. We're headed towards a cookie-less world. Uh, We'll see what happens with Google, uh, but some of the other browsers have already kind of rolled that out. And uh, let's see how all that unfolds with sort of a, uh, you know, connected ID or a next-gen solution to get around that cookie-less world where we're headed from a data privacy standpoint. Great point. Yeah. What's the one avenue of demand generation that you too often see companies overlooking? This one maybe feels a little bit temporary for me, but I, I feel like in hindsight, which is always funny, like this is something maybe I could have done, could have had a better eye on in my career, which is I focus too much, I think, on perfection and like larger scale campaigns, multi-touch or sequential campaigns, right? And this comes back to my point earlier about really understanding every single part of the funnel. Like how many come in, how many convert from every single channel, every single stage of the funnel. I mean, it's it's a nightmare to get all the data depending how big or what the scale your company is. But when I go, I think about this, like the the data side of it, mapping these conversion drop-off points. And I think about how I operate previously. It's like, I think a lot of us just like, we want to make these things pretty and perfect. And actually we sometimes hold up shipping things for a week, for two weeks. And that little like iterative change that you're making on pages, like, you know, maybe that's a one or 2% bump on conversion. Right. And like, those are incremental. Those are meaningful bumps, but those need to be achieved in weekly test cadences or bi-weekly test cadences. Like, like focusing on perfection, you can't say my assets are going to be good and beautiful and perfect if you're on a one or two week sprint schedule. But I would argue, and I'm very in, in the overseen part here is I think that too many marketers focus on the perfection and don't focus on rapid testing. You're going to surpass, you know, if you get that one or 2% bump, but it holds up test, you know, a couple times in a row, you could have bumped out three or four more tests by that point and understood so much more about how to build a page or convert merchants better, or whatever your customers are. So I think it's focusing on too much on perfection. Um, and so I think that the, you know, answer to that, the solution to that is like, get your like weekly or bi-weekly tests set up, right? Those are copy, you know, like your, your header copy, that's your subtext copy, that's image changes. It's like little iterative things where you can get data, you can learn what, you know, what's resonating more. And then plan those bigger swings. Like, are we going to try a whole new redesign? Are we going to try a different form entrance point? Like, what are those bigger, more resource intensive swings that you want to take and find the balance between little iterative tests and big swings that, you know, are going to require more of that perfection because they have more eyes on them. Um, So just really, I think that's the thing marketers overlook is like we strive for perfection, but we hold up rapidly testing and rapidly learning because we're, I think, more aesthetic people and like those pretty things. 
I, I love being aggressive. And um, I have always throughout my career kind of had the motto of uh, don't necessarily ask for permission. If you need to every once in a while, beg for forgiveness, but you're going to get more pats on the back that way because you're producing and you are moving fast. Yeah, totally. You got to balance, you know, what's it, what's it? Good, fast and cheap, right? You, you, can pick, you can pick two, right? And I think that, <laughs> you know, I, I think the fast is where I find myself falling and where I, fi- I find marketers should be in today's day and age. We should be more like, you know, product in a way that is like constantly, constantly testing and not just, you know, finding what works and sitting on it or camping on it, like continue to push that envelope. I appreciate that topic being brought up because I feel like no matter what you're working on, there's going to be that challenge of finding the balance between quality and timeliness. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us today on the Merchant Matrix podcast. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. Uh, Nick and Preston, it's been great. It, what's the best way for our users to get in touch with you, Thomas? How should they shout? Oh man, had me on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll throw my profile on there, Preston. Well, uh, we, you can connect that way. Shoot me a message if anything about demand gen. If you just want to, you know, talk about it. Like I, I could talk about marketing all day, but doing this for a long time. And I think there's, you know, never a right answer. There's it's, it's what's the situation and what's the goal. And then you, you, you tailor your solution, um, you know, undependent on that. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. This was great to have you. Great to get your perspective. You're truly an industry leader in this space, uh, working for one of the top companies. And uh, we are just really appreciative of your time. So thanks so much, Thomas. Yeah, thanks, guys. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Merchant Matrix podcast. And we have to extend a big thank you to Thomas Sear whose unique perspective is no doubt helpful, regardless of where you're working in the sales or marketing pipeline. If you enjoyed listening to the discussion, feel free to add Preston Hurd and follow Matrix Place on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Merchant Matrix podcast. And check out matrixplace.com, the place to go for all your digital sales and marketing consulting needs. matrixplace.com.